So glad you guys are here. Glad we got space for everybody here today. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here at The Vine. If you're new, just want to say welcome. Um, before we dive in, I want to just talk a, a real quick a little bit about our identity as a church. Um, we talk a lot about uh, neighbors and nations here at The Vine, and we um, have definitely some strategic objectives when it comes to the nations that we engage with. And so we're a church that wants to be a sending church. We want to be a church that gains by losing. It's kind of the upside down ethic of the kingdom of God is that you don't gain by hoarding. You gain by giving yourself away. You gain by losing in that sense. And that's who we want to be. So we have a DNA of wanting to be a church that sends. And we want to be a church that builds up the church, the kingdom of God, through the local church uh, among neighbors here in Madison and see churches planted here, but also among the nations, nations where there is no access, like in North Africa, where we partner, but also in uh, nations that are a little more accessible as well. And that's uh, our, our initiative in Ecuador. And I want to give you a quick update on what's going on with our Ecuador stuff. I want to officially announce this morning that we are going to, God willing, have our next church-wide trip to Ecuador in uh, August. And so that will hopefully be our second annual trip where it's kind of a come one, come all trip. If you are humble and, and loving and have a desire to serve and a desire to see churches planted in a place uh, that's a little harder, maybe, uh, we, we call you to go. We'd love for you to go. You're welcome to go. And I want to I reframe maybe how some of us think about uh, some of our trips when it comes to the nations at the vine. A lot of us, our default setting is, man, why um, should I go? Ask your spouse, should I go? And I think maybe we should change the starting point. I think maybe the starting point should be not, should I go? But the starting point should be, why shouldn't I go? Okay? We want to call you, we want to call us as a family to be those that are passionate about God's glory through the local church among every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group. And we got 25 slots. And last time we had 17 people go. I don't see there's any reason why we couldn't send 25 people this year. And, and the deal is this. We're not just trying to make you more spiritually busy. We're just trying to give you the heart of your father. We want to go cross-culturally because our God is a cross-cultural God. Amen? And so that's what we're all about. And let me say this, especially if you're maybe not a, a, a young couple with three small kids or you've got other extenuating circumstances. Well, everybody's invited. But I just want to speak to like the young 20-somethings. Like if you're, you don't have as many commitments necessarily as like three small kids. And, you, you know, you're single or you're married or whatever. And you might have a little more, you might not think you have a little more money. But maybe you don't have as many financial responsibilities or liabilities. <laughs> uh, I just want to challenge you. Like, why not? Why shouldn't you go? Like, is there really real reason? Now, maybe you're in process and you're, you're someone here who's not a believer today. Well, that's different. That's fine. We're so glad that you're here. But if you're a member of this church, my, my, our desire is that every member of this church would have a cross-cultural experience because we worship a cross-cultural God. And you can't get the heart of God in the same way if you never go. Now, there's always exceptions, but don't assume you're the exception, okay? Why shouldn't you go? You with me? 
So that's coming in August, and here's the, the deal. There's no action point. I just want you to hear that. Like, there's no sign-ups yet. Um, I just want us to start thinking about these things, okay? And there's going to be more information coming, probably sooner than later, though, because we're going to have some training, and we're going to get that team formulated. Some of you are going to want to raise some money, and so um, all that. Just, just hear that this morning, more info coming. Uh, along with that, our team that we partner with down there, Stephen Sandy Yongren in La Fuente Church. Stephen Sandy, as, you, as a lot of you have been hearing about, because we prayed about this in our city groups this week, this past week, they're really s- struggling right now. And we've talked about it um, with this volcano that's kind of put their property where they do training and where they live in jeopardy. And so they're kind of homeless right now or in a transient state right now. Um, and their, their picture for training and raising up Ecuadorian pastors is kind of on hold a little bit. It's not what they envisioned because of this volcano. They can't be where they want to be right now geographically. So there's that. But they also just found out that one of their daughters, 30 years old, has cancer. And it may not be a huge deal with this type of cancer, or it could be a very huge deal. And they're in kind of the waiting room, which is the worst, of waiting for tests to come back that take, you know, three, four, five weeks. And so they're just in this, I mean, can you imagine? Like, they're just in this anxious spot. They don't have the geography that they want. They can't do the training in the way they want to do it of why they're there, of sending out Ecuadorian pastors for church planting. And now this with their daughter. And they just found this out a few weeks ago. So originally, the plan was that this spring, we wouldn't have kind of like a a huge trip go like we do in August, but a small kind of niche trip where um, Scott and I would participate in some theological training of Ecuadorian pastors and maybe bring a a smaller team just to kind of be conference support, just do like a conference, week-long conference for Ecuadorian pastors. We can't do that right now because of what's going on in the Yongren's lives. They just don't have the margin for it because of some of the suffering they're enduring. So the elders just approved um, something a little different, something a little special. And just want to let you guys know, in about five weeks, Scott and I are just going to fly down there for a real short trip, maybe four nights, and just to be with them, just because they're suffering, and to pray with them, converse with them, support them, um, hear from them, listen, maybe give some words of encouragement and counsel, and we were talking about this with the Yongrins, and, and they've been on the field. They're in their probably mid-50s. They've been on the mission field for a long time. And they said they've honestly never had someone, like some of their like, partnering organization of people in their, you know, on their partnering team. No one's ever offered to do that. And that just kind of broke my heart. Like, wow. Like, it's always kind of been like, well, we come to you, and then you, like, serve us. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're the hosting, and it's the exotic mission trip. But it's never like, can we come and just serve you, like be a blessing to you? And we did this with our North Africa trip in November, and it was, it was a home run. Um, and so this wasn't the plan, but we just kind of made it the plan. Uh, and it probably won't be the plan every year, maybe. Maybe it will. I don't know. Um, we really want to participate in the training of Ecuadorian pastors. Um, but I just want to let you know that's, that that's happening. And their health, which we're trying to maintain, that's why we're going, just encourage them, their health corresponds to everybody's goal of seeing the kingdom of God advance in that nation. And so um, we want to invest in that. And so that's why that's happening, okay? Let's pray. Let's pray about this. 
Jesus, we ask for your help. We ask for your grace to go before us as we think about being a church that, that wants to be all about your heartbeat because you're a cross-cultural God, and so you've called us to follow you into it. And so may it be so. May your church thrive in Ecuador. Would you be with the Youngrens? Would you be with us as they are our family, as they are um, our team? And may we be truly united. And um, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, all right, so today we are returning to our series in the book of Genesis. We have taken a bit of a break because of Christmas and some different things that we did around that time. And so now we are back in Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 24 today. So if you want to grab a Bible, why don't you turn there and put your thumb in there at 24. Now, because it's been a while, almost two months or so, I want to review where we've been. We've been preaching through the whole book of Genesis. We'll be done, God willing, about the end of April. And I want to review, because a lot of us can't come every week and maybe aren't catching up on the podcast. So let's just do a high-level, real quick review of what's brought us to chapter 24. So in the beginning was God, and he made everything and he's amazing, and he made human beings, and human beings, he gave them creation, and he said, you're made in my image, and he gave them marriage, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, and all of these really good, 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 good things that he did, and God is so good. God is the giver, and human beings decided, who knows why, how could you fathom it, that the horror of sin would be better than the blessing of listening to God. So they rejected God, they rejected his word, and everything literally went downhill from there. And sin infected everything like a disease. And so the first 11 chapters from chapter 3 to chapter 11 is just the carnage of what sin does, the havoc that it wreaks on this world. But all is not lost. All is not lost. God comes to this guy, his name was Abram, in chapter 12. And it's like everything, whoop, it turns at chapter 12. And all of a sudden, we got this massive word of hope. And God comes to Abram, and he says, Abram, check, what, check it out. Check it out, Abram. I'm going to use you to make everything that's wrong right again. And yeah, that's right. You're going to be the new starting point, Abram. I'm going to eventually save the, the whole world through what I begin and continue to do through you. And for right now, at least, at least for right now, this is going to change uh, for us. And it's going to change in the New Testament. But for right now, Abram, it's all going to center on your physical family line. And I'm going to create through you, Abram, a people for myself who will always be in my place, a land that I give them, with my unique presence that I give them, and I will be with you. And the people that come from you will have a proactive mission to reach the whole world with the good news of God. And so this huge story of salvation, worldwide salvation, begins with one man named Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis. And up to this point, we've seen, if you've been here uh, the last few weeks or so, we've seen the ups and downs in Abram's life, haven't we? Sometimes he does a great job. Sometimes he utterly fails. And through it all, even though Abram's not always been true to his word, God has always been true to his word. And his faithfulness is seen on every page. His promises, his covenant, he's remained true to all of it. So that's a quick overview of where we've been 
up to chapter 24. So today, in chapter 4, we're nearing the end of Abram's life, of Abraham's life. And there's a new challenge in view. All right? A new challenge in view today. There's a problem. His son, Isaac, is his name, he doesn't have a wife. He's single. That's a problem. All right? Isaac does not have a wife. And he's single. Now, I know a lot of single people here, some of you in this room, you feel some external pressure sometimes because of your singleness to be married. If you're single and you desire to be married, you probably already feel a sense of internal pressure sometimes. Um, Sometimes I call it the ache of singleness that I've talked to many of you about that I can relate to as well. Because I haven't always, I wasn't born married, right? We've all been single at one time or another. Um, and you want to be married and you just can't force it. And it's complicated and it can be con- conflicting at times. And it's emotional. And what makes it worse sometimes is when people say dumb things. Like, how come a pretty girl like you isn't married yet? Right? Or, and you're like, uh, is that a compliment? Like, I, I think that's a compliment, but it's kind of hard to navigate that one. Or maybe it's even worse, like, super eager parents that are super eager for some grandbabies. And they're like, why can't you just find a nice boy to settle down with? Or how come you don't ask any girls out on dates? Like, what's the deal? And it's like, great question, Mom. If I knew the answer, I'd probably do something about it, Right? I remember the ache of being single. I do. I, I remember in college, I, I always um, would kind of daydream about being married. And I think I had some, just looking back, it wasn't this massive issue, but I think there was a lot of insecurity in reference to relationships in my life. And just always wondering, like, I've got friends, but will these friends, like, really stick with me? Can, can I have friends that are really going to be faithful to me? Um, and, and, and the thought of an unconditional commitment an unconditional uh, covenant was something that was extremely attractive to me. And I, and I didn't know how it would work out, and, and, but I just knew it was something that I deeply desired. And that leads us to our text for today, because Isaac, too, is single. And I think he knew the ache of singleness. But it was more than just pressure from, like external pressure from maybe insensitive friends or overbearing parents. In one sense, the whole salvation of the world was at stake. Now, what, what, what the heck do I mean by that? What does that mean? Here's what it means. God's promise in the Old Testament to make a great nation of people in God's place with his presence on his proactive mission It can't take place unless this family line of Abraham continues, okay? Unless it continues. So no wife for Isaac, Abraham's son, is a huge threat to seeing these promises realized. And Abraham knew this. God came to him and said, this is going to happen. Check it out what it says. You don't have to flip there, but this is just a few chapters before this. God said to Abraham, Sarah, your wife shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant 
for his offspring after him. That's a, that's a big covenant. Okay, and there's a lot we can say about that that we don't have time for today. But that brings us, here's this promise that's in view, and that brings us right to the doorstep of chapter 24 today. This promise is in view, but there's no wife for Isaac, so how's he going to have a kid? So chapter 24. We got 67 verses today that I will not be going verse by verse through, okay? So we're going to summarize. I'm going to do some summarizing and storytelling today. Uh, but maybe turn your Bible open so you can follow along. And maybe you maybe get home today and read all the details that I'm going to summarize. But I just want to begin by setting the stage here with the first four verses. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, so he's talking to his servant now, this is important, okay? He's saying to his servant, the oldest servant of his household, probably had the, the most seniority, right? Who had charge of all that he had, there it is. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. So this is just a customary cultural thing. If you're going to make a, a serious oath or a solemn oath, this is what they did. Um, that you will not take a wife. Here's what it's all about. That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Okay, so this is like a big deal for Abraham, right? You can feel the kind of the gravity of the situation, the way that he speaks about this. Why, why is he so worked up about not getting a wife from among the Canaanites? See, uh, you remember that God called Abraham to leave his home country and to go settle in this land that he promised to give him. Well, the people that live there in this land that God promised to give him were called Canaanites. And they did not worship the true God. They worshiped false gods. And, and in addition, they were extremely wicked, wicked. And so God says, I'm going to have you come to this land and settle there, and I'm going to actually use you way down the line. This people that I create is going to actually be used to be my hand of judgment upon the wickedness of the Canaanites. And you're going to have this land. So that's kind of the backstory. So Abraham says, you can't find a wife for Isaac from these people. It'd be kind of like if you moved to Morocco and you, you had, and you were in a cultural context where arranged marriages were the deal, and you had to find a Christian wife for your son. But the problem in Morocco is it's 99.99% Muslim. So that's, that's a big challenge. That's kind of what's in view here. So he kind of tell, he tells, he tells the servant, you can't go to these people right here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to where I came from. And there's a whole line of people that are my kin, my, my, my people uh, to my, in my homeland. I want you to go there. Now, here's the deal. Returning there, no small task, okay? This is no small undertaking. It was a journey of about 500 miles, and they didn't have high-speed trains. They didn't have Lexuses, right? Here's the map. You can see it. Uh, Mediterranean Sea there on the left, and where they're talking in our text is down here at the red circle there on the bottom. And they got to travel way up north to where the, the other circle there is, is there. And so at this time in history, this would have taken about three weeks if you're booking it, either on foot or on camels. And here's the other thing. Abram's, uh, Abram doesn't know necessarily. He's got big faith, but he doesn't know. And the servant definitely doesn't know that there's any guarantee of success. 
All this trouble with no guarantee of success. And so what does the servant do? In the text we read that the servant objects a little bit. And he says to Abram, his master, like, well, what happens if I go all this way and I show up and I find some gal that's perfect for Isaac and they look at me like, well, we haven't met Isaac. Why should we trust you? And I got to go all the way back and then get him and bring him up again so they can check him out and suss out the situation, right? That's kind of my translation of what the Bible says. (laughs) And so... And so the servant says that to Abraham. And here's what Abraham says. Check it out in verse 6. Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. Up north. Um, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, like I, I told you about this just a second ago, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land, the land where they currently are, down south. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So massive statement of faith. God will provide. But he's not totally, totally sure. He says in verse 8, But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. He says it again. Don't take him back up there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Okay, so the servant goes, makes the big trek, 500 miles. He's got a a slew of camels with him, the Bible says, 10 camels. All right? So this is an arduous journey. You got these huge animals that you're taking with you. Long trip, it's dusty. Arrives at Abraham's hometown, up north. And, and he sets up shop at kind of like the local, for us would be like more like the downtown where people hang out. And for them, then, at this point in history, the, the, the downtown is the local watering hole, literally the well, okay? Um, where and, and at night, oftentimes the women would come and draw water. And so he sets up there. And as he sets up, he just prays to God. And it's this beautiful prayer. You should go home and read it. He says, God, I just need you to provide. I need you to provide. I need you to provide. Would you do it? Beautiful prayer. And before he has a chance to say amen, there's this gal that shows up. And the Bible tells us immediately that her name is Rebecca. And at this point in the text, the author, he does two things that are a little unique that I want to draw out this morning. Here's the first one. If you think about the original audience of this text, maybe three, roughly three millennia ago. They're Jewish people, and, they're, and they're, they have the Bible that's codified for them for the first time because what's before then, before, what's been passed down is just oral tradition. And they've heard these stories a lot of how they came into existence as a people. And so they've heard of Rebecca, that she's the wife of Isaac. And so if you're going to tell this story in chapter 24 and make it a good story, why would you give the punchline at verse, you know, the first 20 verses? You know what I mean? There's 67 verses, and already the punchline, the tension, the drama is resolved. Here comes Rebecca. Like, what's up with that, right? Makes it kind of boring. Well, maybe. Or maybe the author's trying to demonstrate something else to the first audience that's reading this. And us as well. I think he wants to show that God is faithful to his promises. I think he wants to show that God is always faithful to his 
promises. He answers prayer. And right from the beginning, that theme is underscored. The servant prays, God, would you provide? And boom, he provides. God will be faithful to his covenant. He will provide. And he wants to burn that into the brains of the first audience reading this. Having this, 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 this oral tradition that they've heard these stories over and over again about their people and how they came into existence. And now that's codified in writing, he wants to just underscore it. God will be faithful to his covenant, to his promise. He will provide. And so Rebecca shows up at the well. And, and we know who she is. The first audience knows who she is. What's funny that the servant is the only one of all of us that don't, at this point in the text, don't know who, who she is. And so the servant says to her, check it out, verse 23. Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? A little forward, right? Like, that's kind of aggressive. Like, I just met you, and now I'm, me and my camels want to come hang at your place? Well, we, well, it's us kind of imposing our culture on the text. That's in, in the Middle East at this time, and even to this day, there's a tradition of Middle Eastern hospitality. And if there's someone that you don't know, you show them hospitality. Um, and so it's really not that big of a deal. 24, she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And so the man, the servant here, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. So based on who she says she is, meaning who she's related to, those names there, like Milcah and Nahor, the servant knows that this is Abraham's people. This is Abraham's people. So already it's like this, this could be the provision, the provision of God right here, the family of origin of Abraham. And so he busts into spontaneous worship. You see that in verse 27. And notice how his expression of worship just underscores the character of God. We see over and over in the Old Testament, his steadfast love, his never stopping, never giving up, his always and forever love. That's what steadfast means. The Hebrew word is hased. His love, hased, it's steadfast and it's faithful. And so hear this again, Vine Church, Vine family, hear this. God will be faithful to his covenant, to his word, to his promise. So what happens next? So she she runs off and, and tells her family, goes back and says, there's this guy, he wants to come with his camels and stay at our house. Is that cool? And, and so her brother comes with her and, and wants to kind of check out the situation. And he talks to the servant and he says, yep, this is great. Come, we'll, we'll, we'll let you stay with us. We'll show you some hospitality. And so as would be traditional, they welcome the, the stranger and they have a big meal. They sit down to eat. And before he, sa- he says, he's, before he can take a bite, He wants to be fully disclosed on why he is here with this family. And so, again, the author does something very peculiar. If you read uh, verse 34 to 49, you'll see this large chunk of this text that for us as the reader and for the original reader three millennia ago is all just straight repeat. It's bizarre. Like, basically, he just regurgitates an echo of what we've already read. And again, you're wondering, like, what, what's the deal here? Like, in terms of, like, framing a good story, do you ever just, like, push repeat on all the details that the reader already knows? 
That doesn't really happen that much. So is he just a bad storyteller, or what's the deal here? Why spend a huge section with stuff we already know? Again, I think the answer might lie in the power of repetition. Because we're forgetful people. We're forgetful people. And the author's saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. This whole deal, I want you to read it again. I want you to read these details again because our God is a God who provides. And I don't want you to ever forget that. God will be faithful to his covenant. Don't let that be lost on you. Like it didn't have to go down like this. It didn't have to go down like this with this amazing provision. But God is gracious. God is merciful. And he always is true to his word. So the servant finishes recounting this whole story. For us, it's the second time. But for, for, um, for the family of Rebecca, it's the first time in the text. That, that he believes that Rebecca is the provision for Isaac. And she's the wife and the chosen one with whom Isaac will continue on this lineage of Abraham to be a people on God's mission in his place with his presence. And all the men of the family uh, say, okay, that's cool. Let's do it. And, and there's some negotiating about the details of how they should return home. You know, 500 miles with this guy you don't know and all his camels, you know. And so they ask Rebecca, Rebecca, ultimately, what do you want to do? And, and she says, I'm more than willing to go. She doesn't hesitate. And it, it demonstrates massive character on her part and faith and trust. And here's how the, the, the narrative ends up. Verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field uh, toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw that, behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her to, into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his, became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we got a happy ending in the story. In the truest sense, this is a, a match made in heaven, right? Literally, the provision of God seen and provided. God promised, and Abraham believed it by faith, acted upon it, and God provided. Let me say that again. God promised, Abraham believed it by faith, he acted upon it, and God provided. The promise of God not stopped here in Genesis 24, and we know that it won't ever be stopped. So here's a great question for us. With all of that in view, with all of these promises in mind, with all of this narrative that we've seen, what's the point for us 3,000 years later? Well, here's what I want to say first. Let me just drop on you just a real quick the technical term is, term is hermeneutical principle. Now, what is that? How do you interpret the Bible? And here's a principle that can really help us when we ask, what's the point? What has Genesis 24 got to do with me? I live in Madison in 2016. Here's a hermeneutical principle, uh, how to interpret the Bible principle that you always want to keep in mind. 
and it's this. You always want to ask, before you ask, what's this got to do with me? We can be so myopic and narcissistic. Don't start with yourself. Start with them. It should always be them then before us now. What did it mean for them then before us now? Well, again, like we talked about, this first audience, who were they? They were a people... The first audience of the book of Genesis were people who've heard all these stories through oral tradition, then finally it's codified in writing, and they have a document that says, this is who you are, and this is how you came to be as God's people, the Jewish nation at that time, you know, probably around 3,000 years ago. And so let's try to climb into their shoes for a second. Think of the obstacles that they're pondering as they read this. They're thinking, no wife for Isaac, we don't exist. That's a problem that had to be overcome. They got this 500-mile journey. They've got no guarantee that when he shows up that there'll be a wife for Isaac in this town that the servant doesn't know anybody. He just shows up. And God had to do a miracle to see his provision come to pass. And so what jumps off the page immediately, the nearest application for them then was that, man, Look at how God provides. God provides. He's true to his word. His covenant will not be stopped. His mission will move forward. He's steadfast. He can be trusted. You can can treasure him because he can be trusted. That's the immediate thing that I think jumps off the page. And so how does that apply to us? We don't live in light of this Abrahamic covenant. We live in light of the new covenant that we're going to celebrate here in a second. God can be trusted because the cross and because of the tomb that's empty. He can be trusted. He provides. He's given his son. But I think there's another thing that jumps off the page for us, for them and for us. It's not as near of an application. It's a little farther out, but I think it's important. I think the original audience would have been reading this and thinking, man, these are my great, 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 great grandparents. And man, they had big faith that corresponded to them living a certain way. These are my great, 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 great grandparents, and they had amazing faith that corresponded to them living a certain way. Their faith wasn't just talk, it was walk. It wasn't just word, it was also word and deed. And, so, and would this not have been inspiring to them? Like, on two levels. Number one, look at how great our God is to provide and stay faithful to his covenant. But look how awesome the adventure of faith is that our great, 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 great grandparents embarked on. And let's follow in their footsteps. Let's follow in their footsteps. So let me close with with just one simple question. Will your great, 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 great grandkids hear stories of your faith? in light of Jesus' cross and empty tomb, in light of the new covenant promises that we have? Like, will our lives be remembered? What will our lives be be remembered for? Now, Now, maybe they won't be remembered, and that doesn't mean that you're disobedient. I couldn't tell you the first thing about my great, 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 great grandfather, okay? And that doesn't mean that he was some wretched sinner. And here's the other thing. We don't live our Christian lives so that our lives can be written about in the history books. That's not the point, okay? 
Don't hear me saying that. And in addition, what's very often the case is this. The normal, the faithful, the mundane, the long obedience in the same direction. That is God's will and call for you. And it doesn't get any more exotic than that. And that's good. And he loves that. And, and raising kids and going to work and conversing with your neighbors and going to church and going to your city group and, and, and taking a trip to Ecuador just to serve and love or, or whatever, these very normal things of the human existence. For many of us, actually for all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, making disciples as you do those things, like I'm going to disciple my kids as I raise them. I'm going to have conversations at work while I'm doing my work. And I'm going to be a witness in my work because of the excellence that I pursue. And I'm going to hang out with my neighbors. And when we see each other in the yard or when we're shoveling snow, I'm going to pursue a relationship with them. And because the Holy Spirit lives in me and he's my greatest treasure, like how could I not talk about him at some point, right? That's just normal, faithful, mundane stuff. But you're discipling people along the way. That's God's will for us, okay? And oftentimes out of that comes things that you can't ever dream of. I say it all the time. Sometimes you just dip your little pinky toe in the deep end of the pool and the Holy Spirit pushes you in all the way. You know what I'm saying? But it's just the normal, faithful, mundane things and all of a sudden you're in the deep end of the pool. So hear this. For a lot of you, if you hear me ask you, what are you going to be remembered for? Will your great, 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 great grandkids know anything about you and your faith? What legacy have you left? Some of you are wired in this room to hear that and go, man, I, yeah, I just, I want to be a rock star of, of Christian faith. And there's this, always a sense of striving and always striving and always something to prove and always something to do and never slowing down and never resting. And so I want you to be very careful with that question. I think it's an important question. We're going to come back to that question. But just hear me. I want you to be careful with that question. Um, and this last application point just may be qualified, may need to be qualified that the normal, the mundane, the faithful, the long obedience in the same direction is really good, okay? But some of you might not be wired with that constant sense of striving. And you do need to reflect on this question. And, and you do need to think, man, how am I structuring my life just towards faithfulness? Where maybe it's not some huge event that people are going to write about in the history books because of my Christian faith, but maybe it's just that you got great-great-grandkids that are Christians just because you decide to show up each week. It could be as simple as that. But what stories will be told about you? Will, will there be any? See, I wonder, too, if our faith might lead us into crazy things like it did for Isaac and Abraham and Rebecca and, and the servant. Like traveling 500 miles with no guarantee other than God promised to provide. I don't know what's going to happen. I wonder if, if, if our faith too might lead us into random conversations with someone at the watering hole and who knows what's going to happen. Maybe it, it, it'll turn into massive answers to prayer of seeing God's mission move forward in the world. Maybe it won't, but maybe it will. I wonder, I wonder too if our faith might cause us to seek to overcome all challenges that stand in our way simply because we know that God cannot and will not go back on his word. 
Like, what are our great-grandkids going to hear about us? See, here's the deal, and I'm not trying to be morose. I'm just being realistic. All of us are one car accident or one phone call that the tumor's malignant away from it being all over. That's just, that's just the nature of our human existence. So we don't do ourselves any favors by trying to gloss over that. So just like this first audience hearing this history of God's faithfulness as a means to their encouragement and their lives of faith that followed, in light of this, what will those who come after us know of our God and how we believed in him? Will they know, what will they know of how Jesus' cross and empty tomb compelled us to live lives of faith that the world didn't understand? What will they know of how God, who always keeps his promises, his new covenant promises, fueled us to never back down, come what may, pursuing his glory and our joy in this amazing mission that he's given us. See, see, here's the deal. God provided Rebecca. And this story inspired the original audience to press on in faith. Press on in faith. God is faithful. Don't give up. Don't retreat. Don't back down. The clouds may loom large. It may be a day of gloom and doom, but our God knows none of it. And for us today, three millennia or so later, God has not provided a wife, but what has he provided? He's provided his own son. Given to slay the powers of darkness and the power of our sin to condemn us. He slayed it. It's over. That's the best news in the world, right? See, God is faithful to his new covenant promises. So don't give up. Don't retreat. It may be a day of doom and gloom, but our God knows none of it. He will provide. He will stay true to his covenant. So let's move forward as a people by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, would you help us? Would you do it? Would you empower us? Our Father, would you empower us for Jesus' sake and with his spirit alive in us? May it be so for the sake of your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.